everybody. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, part of the Wide Angle Podium Network. And today we're bringing you a bit of a crossover episode, which we're pretty excited about. Uh, for those of you who are new to the show, I'm Molly Herford. I write all about all things cycling related and outdoors, fitness, nutrition, pretty much anything to do with the, being a consummate athlete, really. And I'm Peter Glassford. I'm a registered kinesiologist and endurance coach, and we're deep into the cyclocross season already. I think we're just at the start of it. I don't Uh, know how to tell you this. I don't know. It feels like people got going really early on it. I mean, that happens every... Since I've been reporting on cyclocross for, I think it's been like 10 years now, every season it seems like it's a couple days earlier, a couple days earlier, a couple days earlier... Yeah, I don't know. I really like the fall just for riding my mountain bike and starting to run a bit more and back in the gym. So cross those all off this week. I got, I guess in the last seven days, I have two official strength workouts and a couple core workouts. We did yoga this morning. And then this past weekend, I got a big fun mountain bike ride in with some friends. And then you and I did a big half marathon, unofficial, on our own, (laughs) did a big loop. Yeah. On some trails, so off-road half marathon. Which was my fourth day in five days running half marathon distance. Well, so. Molly's trying to get ready for this big, fastest known time attempt on an 80k loop. So these are small runs for her, and mm-hmm. I have to somehow keep up. So we're trying good, to get some times. conditioning, but so far so good. I'm in week two, and body is adapting. We're gradually exposing here, or ra- rather, quickly exposing. Yeah. But we'll see. But. I had a bit of a base, and that's the idea with this podcast, is we're sort of ready to do anything, or at least ready to start training for things, and sort of, you know, if, you, if you're well-conditioned and moving well, then maybe, you know, a month or two or three of focus, and, you know, you can go do something wild. Um, not necessarily that you're going to jump directly into something like an 80, 80K Yeah, run. please don't do that. We do not recommend that. Just putting it out there. Yeah, but that is sort of what we're talking about, and... Yeah, so that's that's the <laughs> I feel like that was just you and me like, well, we wouldn't recommend it, but you should probably do it, but don't do it. Well, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I think that's you know you could go go jump into like a five k or something yes. if you're relatively conditioned, right? But absolutely. Yeah. So what else? We're going to Washington D.C. Yes, uh, for all of the women listening, I'll be at the Rafa Cycle Club on Wednesday doing a women's social night. So I didn't with- know this was a women's only night. I have told you that a bunch oh, damn. of damn. I don't know why I volunteered to come. Yeah, I don't know. We'll put it out there. If anyone wants to come down to the Rafa Cycle Club, we'll either hang out there or we'll we'll go somewhere else. If we're not welcome, we'll go down the road. Wherever, whatever's down the road. I don't know what's there, but you can show me if you live in D.C. Well, I wanted you to be at the Women's Night so you could talk all about training for cyclocross, since I know a lot of the women who are coming are very passionate about it. I actually saw one of the women who is planning on coming, practicing her bunny hopping of the barriers on Instagram the other day. So you might have to field some technique-specific questions with cyclocross, which is obviously perfect because you just released your cyclocross mounts and dismounts course. Yes, and that is for the traditional on-foot over the barriers mounts and dismounts, which is very important. Just wrote an email, had a client... uh, really big into the bunny hopping you know so this is the staying on your bicycle and hopping over these planks that they put on the cyclocross course um, and we had had the conversation about you know it's still important you still need to get off your bike and cyclocross even the people that are really good at doing this still have to get off to run up stairs or on mud or whatever um, and yeah first race was a little tough there was a lot of forced dismounts for stairs and stuff and so it's all learning. It's all learning for sure. Okay, um, so where can people find this course? That so you yeah, so at? this is on the Ryan Leach Connection 
website. I think we have a, a shorter link that we can say on this is smartathlete.ca slash CX course, I think is a quick way to find it. Uh, but if you Google Ryan Leach, uh, cyclocross. cyclocross, it should come up too. Uh, unless the Ryan Leach from the US, who was the cyclocross collegiate national champion in like 2000. It's definitely up. funny. It would have been funny to try and find him and like get him to be on get it him or something. On it? Yeah. It would have been amazing. So anyway, we talk, we've talked a lot about that. Everyone knows. Also, we'll link that in the show notes. Um, but today we have, I guess... I guess the other thing is I have, if you watch sort of our socials and stuff, there should be from Canadian Cycling Magazine also a bunny hop, like a cyclocross barrier hop video coming out in the next week or two. Uh, so we'll link to that and talk about it on the next shows. But if you just watch at Peter Glassford on Twitter um, or if you follow Canadian Cycling Magazine on YouTube, then you should be able to see it and you'll learn how to hop barriers and do bunny hops on your cyclocross. Like or, you or... Come to Washington, D.C. tomorrow, and apparently I am going to talk about this. I did not say you were definitely going to talk about oh, that. Do okay. not Mixed quote messages. Me on that. So, mic so we're back to me and the, the gentleman going down the road for a drink. Yeah, I okay. just, just wanted to make it clear that you might be there <laughs> talking technique. Okay. And also that you have your sweet cyclocross mounts and dismounts course out right now. But Thank you. Let's dive into today's guest. Um, we have Bill Scheiken, uh, who most of you would know from CX hairs or in the cross hairs. I'm never really positive what the exact. Uh, I don't know. We should have got his opinion on that. I think it's in the crosshairs. I think that's well, what we come both. down. Well, I think that's the website versus CX hairs is like the short form Twitter. Yeah, exactly. And, um, but yeah, Bill's doing a lot of coverage. He did all the coverage. I don't know if it's all the coverage, but the for the Trek mountain bike team. So that's Emily Batty and Ellen Noble were on the Trek factory team for mountain bike. Although he, he was at Rochester Cyclocross this weekend instead of at Mountain Bike Worlds. That's true. Um, Speaking of which, both were awesome races. So yeah. So Bill, whichever you're into, you but should Bill through CX Hairs on YouTube or on his website, then he will he does coverage. So there's written content, and there's also now this year it seems like he's doing a lot of video content for each of the cyclocross races. Yeah. So we talked about kind of where he's come from, what got him into cyclocross, some of his own, you know, learnings from racing and, you know, the clinics that he's done. And we talked about what we talked about last week, which is running in cyclocross and, you know, just a bunch about his thoughts on the state of the sport. So if you are a cyclocross fan or are considering racing this season, this is definitely a good one to listen to. It kind of gets you up to speed on what the deal with cyclocross is. Yeah. And I think if you haven't checked out his podcast, CX Hairs or the Slow Ride podcast as well as another one on our network. This might be a good intro. And if you have come to us from CX Hairs, which is the case for many of you, and thank you for that, uh, you might actually learn a bit about Bill because I don't think he talks a lot about his background and what he actually does for work, which surprised us both. It's not the video stuff. That's a side project. So um, I think you might really enjoy just getting to know Bill. He's a pretty interesting guy with a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. So, all right, let's dive in. Enjoy the show. What? How do you describe yourself, Bill? Like, what, what do you what do you do? Ooh, yeah, there's, just, a, there's a good question. Get right into it. The hard yeah. questions. Well, I um, mean, I tried to suss out exactly who you were. I mean, I know who you are, but it, it seems like sort of like us. You have a, a few different hats that you wear. So, oh, for sure. And I, uh, you know, out of college, went to law school. Became an attorney, practiced what? law for a few years, and then started working in uh, 2000 in Minnesota for uh, a, um, 
Westlaw, which is a legal research group, huge, biggest like legal research um, software out there. You know, all the law books that you see in like TV shows and stuff, those are all published by West, you know, so it's a, it's a big legal legal publishing house and they got bought by Thompson who merged with Reuters and they became an even bigger company and I um, have been with them for the past 18 years. I started as a attorney phone support at the very bottom and then I met my wife in Minnesota and she's a veterinarian and we moved out to Rochester, New York and uh, the company, you know, Thompson Reuters had a a office out there. So I was able to get us moved out there. She did a internship and then we moved down to DC and I was able to transfer again. And now I just uh, work for them from my basement. So it's perfect. I actually didn't realize that you worked a job outside of cycling media, to be honest. Yeah. So here's the thing. I am, I am officially a, oh God, I don't even know my title. (laughs) Senior Senior Principal Attorney Editor. I am in charge of the government contracting uh, publications for Thompson Reuters and West. I used to have a, a cube in an office in downtown D.C. with a manager who would check ch- uh, seats every day to make sure you were there. She then retired and uh, my boss uh, was my director who's in Rochester, New York, who didn't really care where I did my work from as long as my work got done. And now I'm able to work from, you know, ski slopes in Switzerland and watch uh, mountain biking and cover that and still get my work done. So it's, it's, it's pretty ideal. So I can, I can do that job and then I can also do this other job that has just sort of been created over the years. Oh my gosh. Okay. So where did cyclocross come in? What year was that? I think I did my first race in 2003. Um, I had I moved moved to DC. Never heard of cyclocross. You know, was was riding a bike. Was riding on the road. Was sort of dabbling in that. And uh, had a friend that I actually played ice hockey with, who was also into cycling and was like, "Hey, there's a cyclocross race down in I believe it was the first one." It was either in uh, Lake Fairfax Park, with which is um, now Cap Cross, which is one of our bigger races in the area. Or, you know, we also went down to Charlottesville for a race. And, you know, both these races had maybe 50 people for the entire day racing. And, yeah, you know, I started on my mountain bike and then got a cross bike and got really into it. And then uh, in 2000 and nine i believe or eight is when i started the website and started strapping a camera to my head and um doing little like uh helmet helmet cam videos and that that's kind of where all of this started and that was in cross or in mountain biking that you were strapping a helmet uh, camera to your head cyclocross okay yeah why People are always why amazed why did you do it <laughs> why did i do the, the camera thing yeah I don't know. I I thought it'd just be sort of cool, and then I I you know put those on. If you look at the, my very early videos, it was just these uh, helmet cams, and people were like, "How is the camera up so high?" I'm like, "Well, you may have not have seen me. <laughs> I am too. You are a tall uh, man. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then from there, you know, it just kind of 
kind of grew into taking that video and then trying to start analyze it. And that's where Svenness and all of that popped up from. I was just watching a Svenness um, two or three days ago, and it was the one, maybe the second episode. I don't want to confuse you by saying that, but I think it was had a number two in it, and it was about the width of the course. Yeah, that was. Yep, those are the early ones. For sure. And that, that's a really good one. Like, it's a good topic, but it also just has like some really good footage of like line choice on corners and into climbs and stuff. But yeah, so that was early. That like, that was one of the first things you did. Yeah, it, it started out. You know, it started out as just just liking to nerd out about the specifics of it. You know, it was, it was when I was trying to figure out racing too, and had done it a couple years and thought I got a hang of it and started watching all of these races. And all of a sudden I was like, okay, what are these guys doing? And you'd see it, you'd see like everybody in there at the top of the sport and they're all doing it differently. They're all choosing different lines. They're all handling their bike differently. Well, let's go back and look and see what the most successful way is. Or even, even you know, and that's what I don't even like telling, saying this is the more successful way. I like saying, hey, let's check out these two different ways and, you know, you decide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just playing to different strengths as well, right? Is, yeah. Yeah, because what works for Sven may not work for you or I. Right. But even looking, you know, and that was the thing, you know, with Sven that, that of course, was always just amazing with him is that he did have you know that's where i sort of coined that sven line he would do it differently right he would everybody else would be you know you're taught how to how to take a turn how to corner in in cyclocross and it's always tape to tape you know outside you cut off the apex and you go back outside well and then you see him and he's going outside the whole way you're like well this is the best guy in the sport and he's doing it completely opposite of anything we've ever learned. You know, why is that? What's the, what's the, what's, what's the benefit from that? Mm-hmm. I think what kind of like astounds me though, is that in 2009 you started doing video. Like that was when like blogging was sort of the cool thing. Video hadn't really become a, it was clunky. Well, yeah, it, it was super it, yeah. clunky. <laughs> And and to be honest, you're right. And I probably didn't start posting the videos until maybe a year or so. I did start. So in the crosshair started then. And how it actually started was just a straight up blog. And what I would what my idea. And again, it was kind of this sort of quest for for learning how to do this. But I, I kept it local. I kept it to all of the people in the mid Atlantic who are getting on podiums. And I basically sent them out questionnaires. I was like, hey, I'm covering these races. Here are the things I want to know. And I'd ask them all. That's that's kind of how the, you know, what do you have for breakfast question started. I'd ask everybody that. And I'd ask them all these different things. And then I would post, it'd be like the question, and then it'd be six different answers from, you know, all different categories of people who got on the podium. And what, you know, what was the determining moment in the, in the race what was the hardest feature. How do you attack it? That kind of stuff. And then just compiled all these answers. And that was really what in the crosshairs was when I started. It was just every week having these, you know, a short little race recap and then going into these these interview questions of everybody answering the same same five or six questions. Mm-hmm. Did you ever expect it to grow to where it is now or is it kind of a shock that now it's one of like the you know number one sources for cyclocross coverage well i don't even know if that i don't know but no no not at all and and (laughs) to say that that you know the the 
the crazy thing is no i don't think it's crazy the the thing that i'm proudest of is that if it were just me and i was in my 20s i wouldn't need this other job you know that, that other job has health care benefits and you know for me and my family and and other you know i i, I have a um uh, a, a pension with that job. So it's like, I'm not going <laughs> to quit it. Right. But at the same time, if I wanted to live on what I make from in the crosshairs, what I make from working, you know, in mountain biking, I could do it. And that's, that, that, that is something that I'm, I'm proud of because we hear a lot. I mean, Molly and Peter, you both know personally that trying to make a living off of athletics and 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 is not easy it's really hard and especially, especially the cycling industry is the same yeah yeah um yeah and you're at i saw 3.2 thousand subscribers on youtube not those aren't views but like people have subscribed to the cx harris channel um which seems yeah, pretty, and that, that seems big to me that was that's nice too because that's that is stuff that's original content for me not to say that spendus isn't original content but spendus is you know me sort of compiling somebody else's footage uh, and those are all on vimeo just because i mean to be perfectly honest at the time i thought there was less of a chance of me getting a copyright flag on <laughs> vimeo than there was on youtube so that's why they all sit over there uh th that's that whole part of it is just this weird um uh looking the other way by the people who actually own those rights i think at this point but you know, which is fine by me, but on the other side, it's quasi legal. So I can't go and say, Hey, you want to sponsor a Svenness video? Because no one can, you know, pay for it because it may get flagged at some point and then I have to give them their money back. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, but no, I, I think the, the, the growth of the YouTube channel has been cool. And the stuff that I'm doing now for it, this, uh, crosshairs television, just trying to, to cover these races that might not get, any any video coverage of it is has been uh, rewarding. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, and that's a change this year, right? Like I saw you did the first race, which it was down your way, right? Was it Roanoke? This was yeah, Roanoke, weekend? Virginia, which is southwestern Virginia. So about a four four hour drive or so for us from uh from DC. Yeah, and I started doing them a little bit last year, just sort of figuring out what I wanted to do. The first ones I actually started out in that Svenna style, where it'd be like you know highlight and then go to the black screen with text and then highlight and i was like well let me just try to do a voiceover on it see how it goes and i think those flow a little better so that's that's kind of what i'm sticking with for this for this year so what is your setup like what are you how are you putting this together like is it because that's that's the struggle right with all these coverages that's always the, the the complaint or the thing is that you know we can do it with this production and then the feed doesn't work or whatever um, that so that is my that's my my sales pitch to race organizers to have me out and and produce this for them is that if you want to do a a live stream of your event you're looking at easily 30 grand yeah. to have something that's half decent up from there that's like bare bones and it's going to be lot and let me ask you this question where are most people we're a participatory sport in cyclocross so 
where are most people on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon while the race is going on a C2 race and that they're not at? Where are those people usually? Probably on their bikes somewhere else. Bikes or some sort of like baseball, hockey, whatever yeah, type of so practice with their kids. Having a live stream is, it sounds awesome. And it's something that, you know, if, if it existed and you had replays, that'd be great. But other than nationals, like Cyclocross Nationals is the one live stream that you're pretty much guaranteed if the people who like the sport and are invested in the sport aren't at the event, they're going to be watching the live stream. That, yeah. That's the one. That's the one that people people will tune in for. Other than that, what what I want to offer people is is more like wide world of sports where everything used to be tape delayed. Miracle on ice. Not, you know, the, 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 the U.S. winning the, the gold medal in hockey. It was not live. It was not on live TV. It was tape delayed. It was a couple days after it before anybody even saw it. You know, and, and it's still like this greatest sports moment. So it, so live doesn't necessarily have to be be the end all here. You know, we can do more of a tape delay. And that's that's kind of where I'm going with this is that I can give you a 20 minute, you know, or even 12 minute summary of the whole race, get most of the action in there and and get it out uh to people in a, a you know decently produced uh, product i like that to me so that made me think like i'm one of those people who read the last line of the last harry potter book before i started reading the whole book <laughs> and i still loved the book like i don't care if i know who won the race i still want to see the race if i heard it was like a you know really good one to watch <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And and to answer your question, Peter, it's it's me. You know, I, I would love it. I have a couple races where I will be hiring a second person to, to shoot with me. But right now it's just me and, you know, running around the course and, and trying to trying to grab it all. Um, it, the, the funny thing is, like, after spending a summer working with uh, Trek and the and the Cliff Pro team, you know, covering them on on mountain bike courses in you know like the in the alps and stuff coming back to cyclocross was pretty easy it's like oh this this track is actually a lot shorter and i can cover it all right and, and so you're using like a handheld or like a combo of that and some gopros and stuff or what, what do you No, use? it's just basically the you know that i have this i shoot all sony bodies i have a, a cinema lens on my one main camera that i use which um i can track really well on and then on top of that i have a smaller camera that i'll put onto a gimbal and you'll see me like like an idiot just sort of running course side trying to get these nice tracking shots of, of the field as they go by nice uh so you mentioned working doing some mountain bike stuff which has been a i would imagine a pretty fun gig for the last two years now this was year three yeah year three okay and then you're working with the Cliff Pro team as well. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, yep. So, you know, up until, oh, well, <laughs> this might this might have been the end of that that gig at least for uh, World Cup. I think they aren't aren't doing any more uh, over overseas racing for that women's team, which is yeah, really sad. Yeah, I saw that they announcement. The, yeah, they were the long one of the longest running teams out there, and then to have a you know, women's team that was going for 18 seasons, I believe, for racing World Cups is a, is an amazing run, you know, and that's that's the kind of stuff that really needs to be celebrated 
after this announcement, which got to be a little confusing, you know, that I think they're still going to race domestically, but not not the World Cup. So, yeah, but I did I did do video coverage for them, you know, which if you go back onto the Cliff Pro team Instagram feed, and I think they also have a YouTube channel, you can see see the little race recaps that I shot for them. And then my big my big client there is uh, is a Trek factory racing. Cool. So do you have predictions? These the big races are coming up, I think, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, for the world championships, right? Oh, you're talking mountain biking. I was really confused. I think that I'm, I'm, I'm going, I'm going chalk on these, at least for the elite races, especially with them being in Switzerland. I, I think it's going to be really hard to bet against Nino winning again, and then also Yolanda. Yeah. Yeah. What about for podium? Any any surprise people you expect to see, or you're like thinking you might see on the podium? I think for the men, it's going well for both. But for the men, it's going to be there are a lot of there are a lot of guys up there. That, you know, this has been a really fun year to follow for the men as well. You know, I I know a theme that has been going around that I am a huge proponent of is that the women's racing, both in cyclocross and in mountain biking, has been a lot more exciting than the men's. And part of that, one factor in that, is that there have been these dominating athletes on the men's side, be it, you know, Matthew Vanderpoel in cyclocross and Nino Scherter in mountain biking and every once in a while they'd get their foil you know Vanderpoel will have Wout and in the past Scherter had Absalon Mm -hmm. but this year at least on the mountain biking side Nino still amazing still won the World Cup yet it was it was a fight for him every week and that was really fun to see and you had guys like Vanderpoel coming over I mean that just energized that whole field and you you got uh Sam Gaze winning that first race of the year, Anton Cooper, you know, New Zealand producing all of these amazing mountain bikers coming after Nino. You got Maxi Murad who's always up there. So I think there's this whole group behind him that might be might be fighting for the rest of the podium. If uh, Vanderpool stays on his bike, I'll bet he, he'll be up there. Yeah, for sure. And then women's what about... side, women's side yeah. would love to see... Uh, Emily Batty up there challenging. I mean, she's worked so hard, you know, off year last year and this year just really came back strong and is just just doing putting in some really great races. So that's good to see. It'd be, you know, if she got on that top step, it would I think that would just be her career made for her for sure. You know, having never won a World Cup but getting so close. But I think she's gonna be up there. And then, you know, I think that I think that field is so strong. It's tough to it's tough to pip pick people out of it you know i i don't know if you saw that labresse race but that that is like one of the greatest cycling races of all time mm-hmm. just this past one yeah just this past yeah. one with annika langvid out yeah. there fighting Four it of back. Them. There's, you know crazy. yolanda double flatting and still winning the race i mean just incredible yeah it was i showed molly was traveling and working over that weekend so i showed her just a picture when she got in i was like if you can't watch the race, this picture basically summarized, it. and it was three of them wide. I think probably, and then Langbed was maybe maybe trailing behind, but like in frame. And I'm yep. like, this was essentially the race: three wide with one trailing, and it just kept switching and back and forth and everything else. But like every corner, <laughs> like really tight. Yeah. It was so exciting. Yeah, as a rule, Peter does not like. I don't really watch 
that many races, especially not on the weekend. I'll usually watch them afterwards. And that one, Peter was actually like texting me to be like, you have to watch this, which is yeah, yeah. very yeah. different for either of us, I'd say. <laughs> I, my my favorite thing with those and and you guys know this because I'm I'm sure the same thing has happened when you're sort of in the thick of it where you get people like texting you what just happened there and you're and you're like you have a better view than I do yeah right <laughs> you're at home watching on TV I'm like sitting here lying in the dirt somewhere on the on the track yeah you're like I can really only hear cheering I can't really tell you what's actually happening someone's speaking in Flemish I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Um, while you've been over there, have you picked up any like Flemish or French or any of that stuff, or are you still struggling? No, not at all. <laughs> and and it, it, it bums me out a little bit because I wish it were harder, but the, 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 the bottom line is that as North Americans, we are spoiled to no end mm -hmm. and just, or just even UK. I mean, English speakers have it the best in the world because you can just go, you know, if somebody greets you, it's, if it's in German or French, well, French is sort of every once in a while, but, uh, and you just say hello back to them. All of a sudden they just switch to English and they yeah. just, and then you're speaking English. Like, rarely, rarely do you run into somebody that doesn't know some English. Yeah, I think even worse is when I've like made the attempt in Europe and I'm like, ah, oh, bonjour. They just like immediately switch to English anyway. So they're like, yep. yeah, we know. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I want to try. But they're not having it. <laughs> we don't want to waste our time on this. Yeah, I think I think the funny thing is, too, is that it's not I have to say that for me, I have to say the hello part because I don't think I necessarily look american like you know i can pass for eastern european of some mm -hmm. sort so it's always sort of questionable <laughs> yeah yeah i could see that actually like i could see you fitting in like pretty solidly in a cyclocross audience where they wouldn't even like look twice like yeah all right let's let's shift gears to wide angle podium so when did you come i how long ago was it that you came on as like one of the partners in Wide Angle Podium? Um, Spencer approached me just about being on the, you know, he was just starting and it was basically just, uh, uh, um, <laughs> this is funny because it seems like a, a like I'm being, I'm joking, but I am pure, I am truly like uh, not remembering Slow Ride Podcast. The Slow Ride Podcast, and and then he asked me, so I was kind of the second show on the network. The network was basically those two shows, and then it started growing from there. And it was pretty quick when he came to me with the idea that I wanted to be a part of it uh, on more than just a show on the roster. And yeah, I'd, I'd say within the first year, we were already sort of forming that partnership and, you know, making, figuring out the, the investment from everybody into it. And, um, yeah, after about the, I think after year one, we were, we were sort of full partners on, well, he's actually, uh, he's actually a little more, a little more of a partner. He owns, he owns the, the majority of it. He's controlling stake. That's it. <laughs> um, and, and I saw the, the network as a whole, I think has gone over the million 
Uh, yeah, I think we're at that was I, I you know, there, uh, Spencer was giving me a hard time because I was talking about almost getting to a million. And he was like, well, actually, we're about a million five. He's like, we're right up on one point five million downloads oh, you know, wow. um, network wide, which is just amazing. It's great. I love it. I, I, it's such a such a fun thing to be able to see that as a success and see it as something that uh, continues continues to to roll on, you know, with with uh, successful shows and 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 the, the the thing that people need to know and this is this is a a nod to you you two as well is that it's not easy doing this every week or even every other week it, it it's fun for about the first year or so and you get really excited about it and then after that it's it's tough and finding guests and for you guys finding topics is not easy and we see it even on the network you know you see the shows that have sort of gone dormant or have even gone away Mm-hmm. And that's okay because the base of it between the Slow Ride podcast and Bike Shop CX, Consummate Athlete, and Crosshairs Radio, those that's kind of the the foundation, and and those shows those shows continue to grow and continue to to really drive the network, which which makes me really proud. I think we've we've done a good job uh, choosing choosing the best out there. What's coming up next for Wide Angle Podium? Anything exciting on the horizon? Or well, what's, we what's have, you know, we have our our donor drive, which is just finishing up. So if you are listening to this and you go to wideanglepodium.com, there's a lot of cool stuff that you can get for for a minimal donation. You know, we have our splash proof saying that splash proof phone pouches. That's something new this year. There's a lot of fidget spinners left. Uh, we got cool buttons out there. You know, fifty dollars a month, and uh, you will you will have Molly and Peter shouting you out on their show. A personal shout out. I didn't even realize that was an option. Like someone could it say, like, option. I want you to say this thing. It could be anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So some propaganda. But that, but that's it's that's really that's really what it is. And and I honestly, it's it's the type of here, here's the thing the, the the GoFundMe's out there that you see all the time, I, some of them just, I don't know. I don't know if I, I want to support somebody's, you know, racing season or something. I think that it's like you, know, you either need to make it or break it on, on some of these things, sink or swim. But this is almost, it's almost like you're buying the product here. We're going to deliver. You're going to get your product. I know there are, I was talking to somebody else. There are four different podcasts that I support through Patreon. Um and give money to every month. So it's it's kind of just just giving back to it. We're giving you all this free content. If you give us a little back, then we'll continue to do that. I think that's awesome. Um, yeah. If someone was going to start with the CX Hairs podcast, uh, is there like the episode? Like, is there like the defining start here episode? I sort of oh, did, I, a... yeah. I didn't really preface this question. I apologize. But does anything come to mind as like your favorite episode or one you thought you did a great job on or I don't know. You know, they, they, they sort of have different feels to it. I always love talking to uh, David and Scott and doing our little they don't do that in Europe segments. Those are a lot of fun. But as far as the interviews go, they're, they're, they're the, the ones that I am able to just sort of sit down and have a long conversation with. I, some of those have been really, really cool. I even think like the one I just I just put out yesterday with Tobin. 
that he's somebody that you know we're always like every race kind of like kind of like i've i've done with molly it's like we, we need to talk and this has you know been going on for a few years now <laughs> that, that's the that's the same thing that has happened with tobin he was in dc this the past couple of days was able to sit down and talk to him and i think it was just a really really fun chat i think the first time i had hide on that was always good because i mean as as you all know you can just say hey we're recording and then really don't have to say anything for an hour and a half uh, because he's going to fill the space but that's those are the you know those types of one-on-one conversations that i really like and i really liked it to be that you know not to have too much prepared but let's just let's just talk you know and, and those i think go go really well so we've missed one element, I think, maybe only one, but we've probably missed more than that. But one element that we haven't talked about is that you have this other side of your life uh, where you've done some skills coaching and you've actually had, you've written a book about yes. cyclocross skills. Yeah, you and I yeah. are the only Americans who've written cyclocross books. All right. Potentially releasing those books in the same month. Is no. that true? Oh, I thought there was like, it was really close. I think there was like a year. We were. I was. I was after Molly for sure. Oh, um, I was trying to start an argument here, Bill. No, no, Stand no, no, because no, because I mean, well, to were... be perfectly honest, uh, Molly was kind of a kind of a guinea pig for me and how I wanted to go about <laughs> publishing my book. Well, and that Fair we just talked about this recently, but that was again, you know, now it seems like not a big deal to publish a book or publish a YouTube video, but both those things that you guys were doing back in that time was it was a different different time. Yeah, for sure. Yes, and we wrote very different books, which is why oh, yeah. we can still be friends. Yeah, exactly. No, <laughs> yours was yours was a straight up narrative. It's good. It's great stories in there, and we just got into the nerding out about. Uh, technique and preparing for a race and hopefully everything you need to know as a beginner cyclocross racer and even even a, a more seasoned one and it's mm-hmm. still available it's on the crosshairs cycling website yeah if you go to uh cyclocrossbook.com oh good domain oh, yeah um so I had I f- figured we'd just talk a little bit. Do you have sure. or have you seen anything? You know, the classic thing is like that stutter step when people are mounting their bicycle to get back on after the barriers or after whatever they're getting back on. Um, seems like classic like problem people have is not committing to that and double tapping or stutter stepping. Do you have any things you've seen sort of help people get over that? I think the main thing. I mean, we can talk about the technique to be able to get back onto your bike the only thing I'll, I'll i'll say about technique is go you know other than just watching cyclocross videos on how to do this i'm not sure these exist i hope they do it's something i should look at but i always think of it as a as a, a high jumper and if you ever watch a high jumper prepare for what they do it's it's very um map they map everything out. They they know exactly how many steps they need to take before they launch to go over the bar. And they will do that at speed and they'll do it over and over. And then if you ever go to a track meet and you look at the high jump pit, there are all these strips of athletic tape on the ground a couple meters out. And that's where those are all the individual people where they're taking off from. So they know their steps are exactly how they should be for them to launch at the right place. Right. I say that because it's kind of the same thing with getting back on your bike and knowing that it's always 
I take three steps. I take four steps. I'm going to do it in two steps, whatever it may be. I look, basketball the same way. If you shoot, shoot a free throw at basketball, you're always supposed to have the same routine. I dribble three times and then I shoot the ball. I twirl it up in the air once, spin it on my finger, and then I shoot. Exact same thing every single time. For me, you know, I was told that, and, and of course, being the jerk I am, I would just do nothing. I'd get the ball from the referee and I'd shoot. You know, that was going to be my routine. I do the same thing every time. It was always the same thing. Get that would be the shoot. gift get of it, height shoot. in basketball. Yeah, right? <laughs> you just held the but, ball higher than everyone else. Right. But that was, that's kind of the thing. So one thing is just having, just practicing the exact, terrain is always going to change. So, you know, you, you're, that's going to come into play. But you're over that barrier. You're taking two steps, three steps, whatever it is comfortable for you. You're launching, you're getting on your bike. That's, one thing. The more important thing is when you're practicing, tell yourself as practice once and then mentally make a note to yourself, I'm going to do this again. I am going to do it at half the speed I just did. And then when you do that, make a mental note to yourself and say, okay, I just did it at half the speed. I'm going to do it at half that speed. And then do that a hundred times. And I think that's where most people get in trouble and where these stutter steps start is they're not breaking it down into almost a walk and just practicing. And it's mundane and just practicing that motion over and over and over again and then speeding it up from there. I think that's great. I like that. I, I actually love the there's two things about that. One, I love comparing to other sports and things, especially if people have any basis in that. So I like that you did, you know, I think triple jump would even probably work, but yeah, um, your high jump or things like that. There's probably people that have some sort of sport that's similar to that. And basketball, I think, is a great one because you could have variability. You could be pivoting or something and then going in for the layout, right, and taking your two steps because you only get, I think it's two steps in basketball. Right. Um, you know, and it's so it's the same, but there could be something crazy happening before those two steps. And that's probably cyclocross, right? Like you might have to do something or you tripped, right. but then you're right. going to go, you know, one, two, three up onto the seat, right? Um, the, the other, the other part that I think is really important, and this is, is, is more a holistic approach to getting rid of your stutter step. And what I, where I see that people fail in, in their, their practice and their preparation is group cyclocross practices, which I think are a great thing. And hopefully you are in a place where you can find you have people that you can go and you can go to practice and, and you can drill and then you can do some race laps. What I've seen with a lot of these practice groups is it'll go a little bit like this. Somebody will bring their, you know, PVC barriers, set them up. Everybody will start showing up, you know, sort of half heartedly run through the barriers a couple times maybe it was like hey let's work on some starts so they'll do like a start or two it's like all right all right let's just race let's race let's just get let's do some hot laps hot laps hot laps and that, <laughs> this is a parody video in, in the and, making and, and everybody wants to just do hot laps and you're like well all right but that's that's not really practicing that's just you know getting a, like a practice raised in and what I would recommend is one, do some practice sessions just on your own or at least find two or three other like-minded people that you're going to say, hey, we're not setting up a course. 
We're not doing any hot laps. We're just going to come out here and work on our technique. And we're going to do it for an hour. And then you can, you know, go on the road and do your intervals or whatever else you need to do. But let's just concentrate on those drills. And I think that that's, it is not fun. That's the thing. It's not fun. It's fun to do the hot laps. I mean, everybody wants to do that. But that's, that's really not getting you better in the end. And it's really just sort of taking that step back and, and not, not giving into the peer pressure and saying, no, I just want to do these drills because this is going to make me better on Sunday when we race. It's odd. I don't think it's a dichotomy, but it's definitely the thing that I struggle with with clients. You know, it's none of these people or a few of my clients are, you know, at the world championships this weekend or are planning to go to the cyclocross ones. But, you know, they're doing it for fun, but they have some sort of performance goals. Right. And to sort of explain that, you know, the norm for the best people is not to be at the cyclocross practice or the weekly mountain bike race or or whatever. It's not that they never go, but it's not the norm for those people, right? If you averaged out what you saw. Um, yeah, I've seen people destroy their races on Saturday because they went too hard on Wednesday at practice. Yeah, yeah. Like I've I've gotten wrecked by people at Wednesday Night Worlds and just like, I just, I have nothing left. Like it's all left to the weekend. It's going to take me a whole week to get back, right? And yeah, it's that start line energy, that lack of a better term, but pulling the, the car off your baby effort, right? You only have so many of those in a season. And I mean, if you're going to do 12 weekly races, plus in some cases, you know, in the Northeast, people are racing double weekends. Like, right. I can only imagine if you're 16, maybe. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, that's next. Um, I had another thought. That's, that's awesome, Bill. Thank you for that. Um, oh, so in relation to Svenness, I've always wanted to ask, and I've not been super successful over my 20 years of bike racing, but people like yourself, you know, mechanics would fall into this too. I picked Tom Hopper's brain a fair bit over the season, so that was a success, I guess. But um, you watch a lot of things, right? And I'm wondering, is there something that just you see it every weekend, people doing like the same mistake, right? Like whether it's a line in the Svenness sort of thing or just stupid preparation stuff. Um, you know, you've watched a lot of cyclocross races, like you say, lay, I, laying on the dirt. I think that a couple of thoughts here. First off, I think that by watching the amount of cyclocross that I have, I've actually gone in the opposite direction in that. And it's good that this has changed over time and didn't happen when I was putting together skills, drills and belly aches because it would have been a mess, even though in there, you know, I never I tried to stay away from saying this is the right way to do it. It was like it was always this is what we recommend you doing. You know, try this. See if this works. This seems to be proven. And over the years, what I've noticed is that there can be different ways to do this. You know, it used to be, I'm getting, getting in trouble for this, is, is that, you know, you didn't want to put your saddle underneath your armpit. Like, it was always elbow out. Well, some of the greatest cyclocrossers in the world do it that way. And, and there is good reasons not to do it. And then the interesting thing that I found, and even more so recently, uh, running these women's cyclocross clinics, and having women instructors who have really educated me in, in, in why this happens is that it's easier to lift your bike <clears throat> under your armpit than it is to hold it out. Some people don't have that arm strength or, you know, and can't do it. And they're much faster doing it that way. It's like, yeah, 
you may hit the barrier. You may pop your saddle into your armpit, but most likely you're not. So do it that way because that may be faster for you. And it's those kind of things that you're like, okay, we know what we're, we know these, these conventional wisdom things. And it's maybe breaking those things down and saying, all right, maybe there is a reason to do things a different way. So that, that, that's kind of what I've learned. The, the second, what I've learned from watching a lot more mountain biking is that I think that cyclocross, as far as how cyclocross riders ride a bike could possibly change to make them more efficient and faster. And the person that really has convinced me of this is Evie Richards. Because Evie Richards, and you can see it at World Championships last year, was just a muddy mess. And she was just, I mean, she got accused of having a motor in her bike. She was going so <laughs> fast. And, and the reason is she races her bike like it's a mountain bike. She's always over the back of her bike. If you look at cyclocross racers, you look at all of the professional racers, especially in the men's side, they're all on the front of their bike. They're all standing up. They're all leaning over. They're their, their front loading their bikes. And I think a lot of times that's that's sort of hampering their technique. I mean, they've gotten so good at it and they're so fast, you know, that we can't really. I, I, who am I to criticize? But I just think I see her and I see some of these other people coming over from mountain biking and just how they rebalance their body on the bike. I think that there's a lot to learn from that. I think those are good points. I think you're the. I really like the thought on the the norms, right? There's ways that things have been done forever, which doesn't mean that's the way we should always do them. And, you know, I think with women and more people generally being doing cross, you know, we have to be open that there's different ways to accomplish things. Um, I definitely, you know, try and help people find other strategies um, just so they have some range of motion with the armpit. But there's some people that it's like, eh, you're accomplishing the goal, right? And that's, if it's consistent and it's smooth, um that's awesome right but there's you get into the fight where well we're not getting over the barriers so could we try another strategy for versus the armpit right and to me that's the the better question is okay this person won the world championships and never gets dropped in the barriers it's probably not a fight we need to make right right yeah um and that being said that being said i still think the step through is dumb well and there's a lot of things i didn't have the step through because i thought that what we all had agreed on that but (laughs) um but things like i think you see in the u.s at least shouldering um you don't like i feel like a lot of people are just suitcasing a lot more and pushing a lot more um and i don't know if that's like disc brakes might be helping like yeah you don't care as much about your bike bunging up and you know when the pits are frequent i don't know i think that what it comes down to a lot in the u.s and it's what you all touched on in your last episode with uh, running for cyclocross is that we don't have a lot of races in the U.S. where it is mandatory to shoulder your bike. You look at some of these, the, the European races, and the run-up is so long and so steep. There's no way you're pushing your bike up there. You look at some of these, you know, you're talking about the 80 meters. You look at some of these runs in the mud, in the mm-hmm. sand that are so long. If you're not opening up your body, if you're not using that that left arm to, to swing and be able to run with, right. you're losing ground. You're not as efficient. So shouldering in those 
instances is mandatory. And I think it's really the, the longer, harder efforts where it, it comes into play. And where we're just looking at these punchy, short crit sections that we have yeah. to be off our bike, it's, the, the penalty isn't there. Yeah, I noticed at uh, Roanoke this past weekend in your coverage, um, there was a set of stairs that it looked like, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of people were trying to shoulder, but then it looked like a lot of the front folks were just sort of suitcasing and it was a long suitcase, but. Yeah. And even, even there, somebody left a comment that, oh, you know, Mani made this pass on the steps because she was shouldering and the other person was carrying I didn't respond, but my response in my head is like, oh, my knee's just really fast on the steps. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. know, she could be, <laughs> it doesn't matter where she's with her bike. It's like, that's, that's just a, she's a, run a, lot, a yeah. yeah, that's a skill that she has. Which then again gets to, you can do whatever you want as long as you're not getting dropped and you know, it's not, yeah, it's not which, the limiter. Which is also, you know, we're having this conversation and I know all of us would agree that in the end though, you should find the best way because, and this especially happens at the amateur ranks, just because you are fast through there, just because maybe you won a race by two seconds, maybe you could have won it by five if your technique was better. So it's, it's not like any of us are saying just give up and do whatever you want. There are ways that you can get faster, but maybe just rethink for your own, your own, own benefit what may be the best way, and it may not be the conventional way. And just options too, right? Like, in the gym, that's what we're often looking at is like, it's fine if you can squat, but can you squat narrower or wider or, you know, there's always other ways and the more mm. options you have, right? Like if you get to Mount Crumpet or a long run or something like that, then you can shoulder your bike very smoothly and you don't get dropped. But if it happens to be a race like this one you just did where eh, it seems like most people are just keeping their bike on the ground, um, you can, yeah, and you even, can run you effectively. Know, d- the other thing that we have in the U.S. that Europe does not have uh, is that we have these August and September races where it's 97 degrees Fahrenheit out and everybody has a has a water bottle cage on their bike. Sure. Yeah, I guess. That's, so now shouldering's that harder when you got that water bottle. Now that everything's, you got to have your heat adaptation and your cooling vests and everything. Cross is changing. Cooling cooling vests have not made it over to the U.S that mu- i i don't see them which is just amazes really? me you didn't see them in mountain biking mountain biking i see them in in the world cup all the time i mean oh. the whole yeah the in whole canada we use them like, all the time yeah yeah, yeah. See, i mean you gotta have a budget i don't have one but people have them yeah like it's just it's just a wave of blue and white and you don't know who's who <laughs> um last question we have under a minute do you see the new uci rule for cyclocross uh with the six obstacles few people have asked me i don't have nearly enough knowledge it seemed to me like it's not really an issue but do you see it changing things at all well with like the artificial obstacle type correct thing yeah Yeah, i i don't think it i don't think it changes anything i think that uh, a lot of times once you go through your walkthrough with your uci official it's kind of a negotiation and we've seen year after year after year that the uci is kind of a little bendy on their rules even when they put them in there there obviously was a reason that they put that rule in there i I personally, I thought it was the Toyo tires um, because yeah, that was just this I'll link artificial... to your guys' episode because you do do a good breakdown of it. But I just wanted to see yeah. if after the first race here, you had any other thoughts. No, and I, I, I honestly, I think it's going to be really interesting. We know all these tracks. We've seen them year after year, both in uh, North America and also in Europe. And it's going to be really interesting to see what changes are, are made. I just had a conversation 
with the promoter from Charm City yesterday about about their planter because that's that's something I'm like, oh, that's going to be interesting. And they're like, we're putting it in. If if the you know if our commissary tells us nope that has to come out then they'll change the course but as far as they're concerned it's it's part of the park and they're putting it in so it's really gonna I think it's really gonna come down to interpretation and I think we're gonna see a lot of people you know yelling at Twitter that oh that shouldn't be in the race or why they take that you know that it's 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 not gonna be something that's gonna be cut and dry right and the issue with the the planter would be that it's man made right like, it's not a natural thing correct yeah and it doesn't fit within it was sand barriers or steps right, right. yeah huh yeah i think you're right like i think it's just trying to i think the ultimate heart of it is that they're trying to avoid just like 20 obstacles and it's just like a mini golf course right like i think oh, for sure i think yeah. i think yeah, that yeah. was the goal yeah and then and you know people are all freaked out about oh you can't have a flyer over because it's artificial and i'm like well the 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 rule is it's something that at the elite level the top level that they will be forced to dismount so right. yeah i think that yeah. i think you were right in that that's sort of the key yeah. word in there that's just like taking the course and i honestly think in, in for the uci they're like why are all these why are all these americans getting all all out of shape. Out of we're, just, we're just making rules here. We do it all the time. Why do they take these things and break them down so much? It's like stop bothering us. Having gone to having gone to a Belgian World Cup, I can assume it'll all just work out and it'll be a little more hectic than we're used to, but it'll all just pretty much be fine. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, Bill. We'll link to all your key CX hair stuff. I want to. Can I? Can I yeah. talk about one more thing? Oh, hundred percent. Because you all mentioned it uh, in your last... I wanted to talk about running a little bit. Oh, yeah. Okay. We, well, we did I, miss that I, question. I did. We, we touched on it, but you didn't seem like... What do you think? So running in... The, the, question, I, the question is, let me set it up for people. Yep. The, should you do runs, like specific run training for cyclocross training? And that's without any commentary on like general health or athleticism or cross training. Just, I want to race cyclocross. Should I do 20-minute runs? And and here is what I will say. First, I will say, if you all haven't listened to the episode before this one where Molly and Peter discuss this, go back and listen to that because it, it's a it's a great breakdown of all the pros and cons. And I it, I I learned a lot from from listening to that. What I will add is a couple things. One is that if you've never run. If you, we see a lot of people who race road and there's like, like right now they're still fit and they're like, I'm going to jump in a cyclocross race and you've never run even the little minimal running that you do in cyclocross, it is going to hurt like hell. If you don't just go out there and as you all were saying, do a little jogging, do whatever, you know, 20 minutes at most, even less, just to, so your body knows, Hey, Hey, this is what we're going to be doing. You know, just be prepared. The the second part of that, and I think the more important part of why you may want to put running into your training for cyclocross is that if you do and if you feel more comfortable running, you can take that off of the list of the things that you worry about for racing cyclocross. Ooh. Oh, my God, I hate running. I don't like the running part. It's the worst part. Well, now you're running. You know, it's really not that bad. You're only on off the bike for this amount of time. I'm comfortable. I've been running. I'm a runner now. Look at me. I can run a eight-minute mile. Awesome. And you get there, and then that's not a stressor. 
That's not something you're worried about. That's not something every time it comes along in the course that you're like, oh, crap, here comes the running section. It's like, awesome. It's running. I do this. I'm a runner. And then, you know, that, and then you can go worry about your stutter step or something else that you need to fix. Yeah. I think that, I think we did, you know, and I, I, you probably do this too, but like I'm riding my bike later in the day thinking about the, the episode or whatever. And then I'm like, ah. Oh should have said that someone's going to say this. And that was the one thing was like, I'm coming from a position where I've always just been okay at running. Like I enjoy running and I do a fair bit. Um, and I definitely have that mindset of the second I get to run, if I can get off my bike, I always say like, I'll gain several spots. Like if we just all have to run or get on and off a bunch. Um, so I think you're right. If you can gain confidence from that or you enjoy running, like that's a, a great reason to include it. Um, I've also seen a lot of people that are pretty good runners and identify as runners and they're not great at cyclocross, but yeah, no, that part that, that you said is, is yeah, absolutely on point in that whatever you may gain. And we talked about how the runs in, in North America are not as long as they may be in the, you know, hardest tracks in the world over in Belgium, that the gains that you're going to get are not by becoming a faster runner, if you're already good, are not that great compared if you just work on your skills and your technique. Right, right. Well, I think that's, that's good. I didn't realize, I don't think we had any controversy, but I didn't. That was great. That's a great addition. Um, so that's CX Hairs on Instagram is a great place to follow you and see what's up. Uh, and then your YouTube channel will also link to so people can follow all this coverage you're doing this year as well. Make sure they subscribe and join the thousands of people who have done so. Uh, anything else, Bill, that we should link to or know about? Uh, no, that about does it. Uh, CXHairs.com, that's uh, sort of the landing space for all of this uh, stuff. And uh I'm glad that we finally uh, were able to do this. This was an enjoyable conversation. Thanks thanks for having me on. And again, thank you for uh, continuing to, to put out episodes. I love all of the, the diverse topics that, that you all touch on. And I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's something that people, people should be tuning in for. Well, thank you, Bill. Thank you for your help. And yeah, thank you. And well, hopefully we'll see you at Molly will see you yeah. at Waterloo, I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Uh, you can check out my stuff over at theoutdooredit.com or by following me on Instagram and Twitter at Molly J. Herford. And you can check out Peter's coaching, training plans, blogs, all that fun stuff over at smartathlete.ca or by following him on Twitter and Instagram at Peter Glassford. And if you want to support this show and other awesome podcasts, please check out WideAnglePodium.com for show info, other podcasts, bonus content, and to become a donating member so you can get all of that rad behind-the-scenes content and help keep shows like this on the air. And lastly, if you're enjoying this podcast and all the information that we're bringing to you every single week... Uh, do us a solid and pop into iTunes to leave us a rating and review. It takes you about two seconds. You can do it on your computer. You can do it on your phone. And it really helps us out. Thanks so much. And we will see you next week. <laughs>